Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. Episode 6, Gluttony. Hello again. If gluttony were a country, I'd be its ambassador, or perhaps its monarch, prime minister, or president for life. I was born a glutton. Did I, did I over-guzzle at the teat? Did I under-guzzle? As I say these words, I realise that I've said them before, or, or, or something like them. May, may make a long arm for my index, Watson, there's a good fellow. Aha, here we are, yes indeed, the Fry Chronicles. You haven't read it? Oh, I'm sorry, a more readable and illuminating book rarely broke the turbid surface of British publishing, you'll adore it. Let me, uh, let me quote from a passage that describes my six- or seven-year-old behaviour. The breakfast table was where the seeds of my sorrow were sown. I'm sure that I'm right in locating my first addiction here. Sugar puffs were the starting link in a chain that would shackle me for most of my life. To begin with, as you might imagine, they were a breakfast habit, but soon I was snacking on them at any time of day until my mother began to sigh at the number of packets she was forced to buy. I would eat the sweet pellets loose from the box, one after the other, without stopping, into the mouth they would go. I was like a, a movie-going American eating popcorn, eyes glazed, hand rising and falling, pack to mouth, pack to mouth, pack to mouth, like a machine. Eyes glazed. Is that important? A child at the breast or bottle has that look. There is a sexual element to such unfocused fixity. Until I was about eight or nine, I sucked the first two fingers of my left hand almost all the time while twiddling the hair on the crown of my head with the fingers of the right hand, and always with that glazed, faraway look with parted lips and laboured breath. Was I giving myself the breast treat that I had been denied? Cereal packet lists of ingredients and serving suggestions were my literature. Thiamine, riboflavin, and niacin, my mysterious invisible friends. Sold by weight, not volume. Contents may have settled during transport. Insert finger under flap and move from side to side. They're great. We like ricicles, they're tricycles as nicicles, and so they were. In fact, as I like to say, they were thricycles as nicicles. Yes, sugar. That was my first addiction, all right. A few pages on, I talk about its effect on me at school. I'll pick up the thread there. Tuck, as you may know, is an old-fashioned English school slang word for sweets, I write. What Americans call candy. 
While I had encountered sweets before, of course I had, they had usually come in quarter-pound bags scooped from large glass jars in the Norfolk sweet shops. Pear drops, sherbet lemons, toffee eclairs, humbugs and fruit bonbons, all rather dowdy, respectable and pre-war. The school tuck shop offered wilder excitements in this, the rising golden age of confectionery. Cadbury's. Fries, hurrah! Round trees, Nestle's, Macintoshes, Mars and Terry's were still individual, independent manufacturers. From Macintoshes came Rolos, Caramac and Toffee Crisp. From Fries, hurrah! Turkish Delight, Crunchy Bars and Chocolate Cream. Cadbury's gave us the Picnic and the Flake, as well as their signature dairy milk wrapped in delicate purple foil. The Bourneville Giants were even then preparing to launch within one year of each other the legendary Curly Whirly and the greatest chocolate bar in the history of the world, the Aztec. Nestle's, meanwhile, offered us the Milky Bar. Roundtrees had the Kit Kat and the Aero, fruit pastels, fruit gums, Smarties and Jelly Tots. Mars had the Milky Way, Mars Bars, Maltesers and Marathon. Bless my soul, I never noticed till now that the Mars products all began with M. Though Marathon would many years later be rechristened Snickers, of course, and I would help launch the new name by recording the voiceover for its advertising campaign. If I had known such a thing might happen back then, I might well have exploded. Just as Mars opal fruits would one day become Starburst, of course. Doubtless they had their reasons. They also produced Spangles, the square, boiled sweet that has become shorthand for just the kind of lazy, overwrought nostalgia in which I am now wallowing. Glorious, as the school tuck shop may have been, it was but a John the Baptist to the messianic radiance of the nearby village shop, unworthy to tie its red licorice bootlaces or lick its sherbet dabs. On the shelves of that shop gleamed, glistened, and twinkled the most exotic, colourful, and sugary-sweet treasure I had ever seen or had ever dreamed of. Jamboree bags, tree-bore refreshers, fruit salads and blackjacks a farthing each. That's four for one old penny. Foam shrimps, rice-paper flying saucers filled with sherbet, swizzles maclo twizzlers that fizzed and popped in the mouth like fireworks, love hearts, chewy sour cola bottles and rubbery white milk bottles, chocolate buttons sprinkled with hundreds and thousands, strips of Wrigley's juicy fruit and spearmint, boxes of chiclets and pez, loose cubes of Bazooka Joe and packs of Beatles-branded bubblegum, each one with a card inside that offered a picture and priceless biographical information. John hates marmalade, but Ringo is very fond of lemon curd. George is the tallest beetle, but only by half an inch. And other valuable secrets, all finished with the exclamation marks that remain a characteristic of fan literature to this day. On other shelves, there were gobstoppers, aniseed balls, and everlasting strips. Sherbet fountains, dabs and dips, wine gums, wagon wheels, and walnut whips. There was the much-prized Spanish gold, pouches of yellow waxed paper with a picture of a red galleon on the front, packed with strands of shredded coconut browned with chocolate powder to make it look like rolling tobacco. Licorice curved into a Sherlock Holmes pipe, complete with bowl and stem. White candy cigarettes with red ends and rice-paper-wrapped chocolate cigarettes presented in a fake Chesterfield's carton. All the elements were now in place. Sugar. 
white powder, tobacco, desire, lack of money, the forbidden. Yes, forbidden. The village shop was out of bounds to all boys. Seven years old, two hundred miles from home, and a deprived addict. There are plenty of stories of children younger than seven who are already full alcoholics or were born addicted to crack cocaine, crystal meth, opioids and Red Bull, and I'm fully aware that my sugar dependency reads as tame by comparison. The fact of it is an indictment of nothing and a lesson to nobody, nor is it satisfactorily explicable. I've given you the outline of it, but that doesn't suggest necessary or sufficient cause for so compulsive and all-consuming an addiction. After all, my contemporaries were subjected to the same advertising, had available the same cereals, candies and comestibles, and were compounded of the same organs, senses and dimensions. Yet from my very earliest consciousness, I sensed with savage, unswervable certainty that other people were not seized by the same rapacious greed, insatiable hunger, overmastering desire, shivering lust, and terrible, hurting need that had me in its grip almost every hour of every day, or if they were, they had levels of self-control that entirely shamed me. Perhaps, I wondered, perhaps everyone but me was strong, characterful and morally assured. Perhaps only I was so weak as to succumb to appetites that others could control. Perhaps everyone else was equally gnawed by equally keen desires, but had been granted by nature or the Almighty an ability to master their emotions that in my trembling desolation I had been denied. Substances seem so insignificant compared to the big things in life. Work, faith, knowledge, hope, fear, and love. But the appetites that drive us, and our susceptibility, resistance, acceptance, and denial of substances, define and reveal us at least as much as abstract expressions of belief or bald recitations of action and achievement. Or maybe, as I say, it's just me. Maybe other people have greater control over their appetites and less interest in them. I seem to have been driven by greedy need and needy greed all my life. I wrote that some years ago, but the words still express a lamentable truth about me, and clearly not just me. The need, the overwhelming need to fill the mouth or nose or lungs with substances that bliss out, numb, stimulate, thrill, shift, transform. Alcohol, narcotics, stimulants, sugar, junk food. Well, we all know these days about endorphins and their role in nature's punishment and reward system, that we have somehow found a way to supercharge, short-circuit and hack the chemical stash inside us, is common knowledge. B.F. Skinner, 
or one of those academic behavioralists who were so fashionable and credible back in the 1950s and 60s, experimented on laboratory animals, as behaviorists always will, the enslavement, shaving and tormenting of small rodents being their addiction, I suppose. In one famous experiment, he offered some mice a choice between two buttons that they could press with their little pink noses. Press button A and a quantity of seeds and other attractive food would fall down from a hatch. Press button B, and an implant in their brains would be activated that would give them a surge of pleasure by releasing all the good hormones, you know, the ones uh, tryptophan, noradrenaline, melatonin, serotonin, those generous home-brewed opiates that our endocrine systems release as a hedonic reward when we do something of survival importance, have sex, succeed in a hunt, build a nest, eat a good meal, achieve some other crucial and deserving goal. What Skinner found with this experiment won't surprise you. It transpired that the mice would repeatedly press button B to give themselves the ecstasy, the euphoria, the flooding orgasmic charge of pleasure that the electrode stimulated, and they would keep on pressing it until they died of starvation, blissed out but lethally emaciated, by malnutrition, like a junkie in an educational anti-drug film. So, a life form that's stupid enough to die a premature death because it prefers great washing spasms of pleasure to food? Welcome to Homo sapiens. And I, more than most people I know, most but not all, am as guilty as any of those mice. I say more than most, but not all, because I have known people even more gripped than me by the pull of addiction. They're all either dead, from endlessly pressing button B, or they are now completely clean and unable to indulge in anything without putting themselves at risk of a catastrophic return to their old ways. You're listening to Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. I'll be back after a short interval. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. (laughs) 
I'm presuming, of course, to interpret gluttony with some latitude, but even if we just apply it in the old way to food, we can see that it is a vice, a, a disease, a disorder, a, a failing of disastrously epidemic proportions in the developed world today. We all know by now, I should think and hope, that for the first time in our species' history, more people die from the consequences of too much food than from the consequences of too little. Obesity has overtaken smoking as the primary cause of early, preventable, self-inflicted death. Evolution prepared us with the carrot of pleasure and the stick of pain to give us a way to thrive in the keenly balanced and precarious knife-edge existence that preceded our cognitive revolution. But the moment we developed the combination of tool-making, fire-harnessing, crop-planting, and most crucially of all, the cognitive leap that included above all language, well... Suddenly we could beat the system that kept us always hungry, always stressed, always on the hunt and always on the defensive. Fire protected us. Tools gave us an edge over both predators and quarry, while language gave us the ability to plan, cooperate, bond and, come the agricultural revolution, settle. Calories suddenly came easily, especially to those that rose to supremacy over their fellow humans, either by dint of force of arms and force of personality, or by craft and cruelty. Fast forward to the Industrial Revolution, and once an element of social democracy finally evened out the virtual slave economy of the first workers, then few went hungry in the so-called developed world. Few, but certainly not none— the efficiencies of production, manufacture, trade and distribution meant that the kinds of experience that made us feel fulfilled, warmly happy and pleasurably replete increased almost exponentially. What social democracy, classical liberal economics and the semi-regulated marketplace couldn't deliver was filled by an ever-eager, organised criminal elite – as one of the American mafia pioneers, Lucky Luciano, was it, said, If history teaches us one thing, it is that people will always want to get laid, to get high, and to get action. So, in times of state prohibition, he and his fellow mobsters were only too happy to provide illicit sex, booze, drugs, and gambling, the four horsemen of the addiction apocalypse. We tell ourselves, or at least I tell myself, that I can excuse my gluttony because it is simply a mistake of evolution. I was bred over hundreds and thousands of millennia to awaken my pleasure glands in whatever way I could. Sugar was first, but such is the flaky, fragile and fatally flawed blueprint of our natures that almost anything could replace or complement it. Take smoking. Oscar Wilde called the cigarette the perfect type of perfect pleasure. It is exquisite, he noted, and leaves one unsatisfied. Like most of Wilde's observations, it repays more inspection that might at first appear warranted. Tobacco, unlike alcohol or narcotics, say, makes one neither dreamy nor stimulated. There's no buzz, no hallucination, no rush, no fizz, no fume of somnolence, nor spark of hyperactivity. Consciousness is not lifted, lowered, or in any way altered. Unlike food, tobacco doesn't make one feel pleasantly full. 
Unlike alcohol, there's no stage of merriness, uninhibited confidence or connection. Your first cigarette makes you feel sick. The taste is bitter and unpleasant. There's no reward other than nausea, dizziness and coughing. But once the nicotine attaches itself to the right part of the brain, then, after three or four more cigarettes against the resistant instincts of your body, there is addiction. So that without the smoke come the pangs of withdrawal. Smoking is a random and utterly unsatisfying thing to do, but the pain of not doing it is compensated for by the relief of doing it and keeping that pain at bay. Cigarettes leave one, as Wilde said, unsatisfied. Therefore, the answer is to have another, and another, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty a day. Not satisfying you, only satisfying your craving. And where does this craving come from? It's not a craving for any feeling other than the abeyance of the empty feeling of not having a cigarette. It's a perfect self-sustaining but nonsensical feedback loop. Imagine rubbing your forefinger on sandpaper so that it's slightly painful and irritating. Imagine that if you did it just seven times, your body suddenly became addicted to your doing it. You'd have to keep doing it just to satisfy this need. That's how arbitrary and unsatisfying and pointless smoking is. Yet, unlike rubbing your finger on sandpaper, which is unlikely to become addictive, the act of smoking has the random and evolutionarily useless ability to hijack the body's pleasure-reward system which was designed not for a poison like nicotine, but for high-energy foods with plenty of sugar, starch, fat and protein. Or maybe we're looking down the wrong end of the telescope. Maybe there is an evolutionary advantage to the addictive quality of nicotine. Not for us, but for the tobacco plant. Maybe tobacco evolved this addictive quality precisely to trap us into cultivating and growing it all over the world so that it spread from being a uniquely American plant to a worldwide crop. Victory for the plant, cancer, emphysema and heart disease for us. The same could be said of the opium poppy and the coca leaf and, most destructively, the cane, beet and corn that yield industrial quantities of junk sugar. It's all the damn stupid fault of the damn stupid chemical factory that we call our body. It's too dumb to tell when we've had enough sugar. It can't distinguish between the beneficial rushes of pleasure that are merited by a useful action, such as eating a good balanced meal, enjoying an orgasm or completing a creative task, and the equally pleasurable rush that comes from gorging on a narcotic, scarfing down junk food, binging on alcohol, spunking your week's pay on a series of bets. Stupid, stupid body. Incompetent, hopeless nature. Misguided, misdirected evolution. How they delude and dazzle us with false snares. You'll want to say it's not our body's fault. It's the fault of the pace of our technology, outstripping the pace of evolution. Maybe. The bummer of it all is, the urges that impel us to overstuff ourselves can only be reined in by complicated, burdensome, systematic and stressful commitments to diet, abstinence, sobriety and self-control, often involving all kinds of existential self-examination. My name is, and I'm an alcoholic, 
an addict. I choose to yield to a higher power. I will attend meetings from now until the day I die. Addiction defines one when one was indulging, and it defines one now that one has sought help. What an absolute ass of a bummer of a bastard of a bitch of a bugger of a how-do-you-do. Indulge your desires and you become fat, inebriated, paranoid, blotchy, smelly, breathless, diseased, and bound for breakup, downward spirals, and an early death. Face up to and vanquish your desires, and every day is counted, the demons of your addiction hanging over you like the sword of Damocles, and you'll often become a narcissistic, navel-gazing, junk-mystical, life-coach, driveling bore. "'stuck in meeting rooms with other human wreckage, "'looking back on the wasted years. "'What pleasures are left? "'The bright and changing colours of nature, "'the cleanliness of the dawn. "'Yeah, but that buzz. "'Surely medical science, chemistry, industry, big pharma, "'surely someone can come up with a thrilling buzz "'that doesn't give one cancer and apoplectic strokes.' trigger mental illness, destroy families, cost fortunes, cause erratic, violent and embarrassing behaviour, can't they? No, it seems they bloody can't. Of all sad truths of tongue and pen, the saddest is there is no such thing as a free buzz. Everything casts a shadow. The brighter a phenomenon and the more sunlit with promise the darker, sharper, and blacker and more blighted the shadow it casts. The only answer, abnegation, abstinence, self-denial, misery, emptiness, and a great hole in the centre of one's being where once pleasure dwelt. Not life, but dour, dismal existence only. Oh, come now, Stephen, less of it. Gluttony is a vice, not a genetic disorder. Your generation, the sugar puffs, ricicles, frosties, curly-whirly, vodka, cigarettes and cocaine generation, were spoilt, entitled and utterly lacking in self-control. Your guzzling, gormandizing gluttony ruined your own health, ruined the health of the planet, exploited and sucked up resources, encouraged narco-cartels, fueling violence and gang warfare, all in the name of your heedless hedonism and sybaritic self-gratification. We have no pity for you, only contempt. Wow, that was cruel. But... There is surely a kernel of truth in that savage and totally unexpected attack that I just unleashed on myself. Me and my baby boomer peers are self-indulgently sandwiched between a stoical wartime generation of sacrifice, rationing and privation, and a millennial generation of student debt, impossible house prices and existential threats like species extinction, sea level rise, uncontrolled biotech, malign data harvesting and uncontrolled robotics and AI. We had it so good. All the jam, none of the crust. University education with maintenance grants and all fees paid, cheap mortgages, in the metaphorical as well as literal sense, we enjoyed open roads with no speed cameras. Bliss was it in that dawn to be alive, but to be young was very heaven. The world was our peach. 
and like the gluttonous pigs we are, we sucked out all its juice. Our motto was perhaps best expressed by the poster child for that generation, my poor lost friend Carrie Fisher. Instant gratification, she wrote, takes too long. She and our peer group, myself included, led the way when it came to guzzling on empty junk calories, empty junk art, empty junk culture, and empty junk thinking. Feed me, as Homer Simpson likes to say. Feed me. Well, as I speak to you now, I've lost several stone in weight and continue to reduce on a regime of exercise and severe dietary restriction. Grim and trim from the gym. Punishment for a glutton who is now a glutton for punishment. But I know myself too well to believe that it will last. Surfing TV channels, I've caught sight of myself sitting in the chair of the panel show QI or hosting BAFTA Film Awards. In the course of 13 years in those jobs, I went from solid to fat to morbidly obese, to weirdly thin, and back to grossly fat again. It'll always be a fight, and one for which I won't get or expect or deserve. Much sympathy. Gluttony. I don't come out of this vice at all well. I've tried to blame genes and evolutionary instincts for going awry, but this unattractive, wallowing, face-stuffing vice has nothing to recommend it. When scaled up through the population, it is not expressed as one individual's greed, self-indulgence, visceral fat, wobbly jowls and lard-arsed silhouette, but as stinking landfills, a pandemic of plastic waste, felled rainforest, endless vistas of species extinguishing, oil palm plantations, and our exhausted, contaminated biosphere gasping its last. Does it make us angry? Or does it make us apathetic? Wrathful or slothful? Two more sins to come, and anger is next. Your views on what you've heard, so far, always welcome. I'll snack on them greedily at the end of the series. So, hashtag figure seven deadly sins to at Stephen Fry on Twitter or at Stephen Fry actually on Instagram. And now... Breathe deeply and see you soon for some wrathful fury and no snacking. You've been listening to Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. Grateful thanks to our composer, Guy Farley. The show is produced by Andrew Sampson and Norman Goodman. Additional episode information can be found at stephenfry.com slash bananaskins. This has been a Sam Fry Limited production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.